Welcome to Married to Politics. This podcast focuses on political topics that you accidentally end up discussing with someone way more knowledgeable than you. Except here, I save you the trouble by discussing politics accidentally on purpose. I'm Sarah Goggins, here with my husband, Derek Santola. Not unlike most mornings in our house, each episode, Derek surprises me with a key political issue that he is overprepared to discuss while I ask the hard-hitting and often awkward questions until I either understand or tire him out on the topic. Okay, Derek, what are we talking about today? Well, Sarah, today I want to get outside of the Beltway bubble here in D.C. and move to some actions that are taking place in two states, Texas and Florida. Ah, yes, the most noble of states. I want to talk about what's happening with a directive from Governor Greg Abbott in the state of Texas. And then once we're done with that, I want to transition to an impending law that's currently known as the Don't Say Gay Bill. Oh, I've seen the news about these two. Uh, I'm really glad we're talking about it, and I'm excited to learn more. But overall, it just seems super shitty. I think both of these are really important issues, and I think we should stay say right off the bat that both you and I are heterosexual um, and although we have lots of friends that are in the LGBT community, neither of us are experts on this topic, um, and we're simply just presenting information um, as, as I've collected through research. So let's go ahead and start with the Texas Directive. Now, it's important to note from the get-go that this is not a piece of legislation that was passed through the Texas state legislature, but instead, as I'll describe, was a, was a directive that was issued by the governor of Texas. What is that? I, I don't know what that means. Is that like an executive order, but on the state level? Yeah, that's a great comparison. Um, so on the federal level, you have laws, statutes that are passed by Congress, um, and then you also have executive orders that are issued by the president that have to have some sort of legal backing. So you know, there's um, at the White House, there's an Office of Legal Counsel that does the research and, rec- and provides recommendations to the president to issue executive orders, which have the binding effect of law, but they can also be repealed by the next administration's executive order. Similarly, at the state level, um, attorney generals can issue non-binding legal opinions, which are basically legal responses to questions either by the governor's office or the state legislature, which is actually what happened in this case. And then the governor is able to issue an executive order, making it binding, which has the binding effect of law. Okay. So let's do, let's dive into the background of what's going on in Texas. So starting on February 18th of this year, uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson issued an advisory opinion um, to Matt Krause, who is a member of the Texas State Legislature. He's the chair of the House Committee on General Investigating, which is a committee of their legislature. And this was in response to Krause's questions of, quote, whether certain medical and chemical procedures performed on children, and these are Paxton's words, in his opinion, several of which have the effect of sterilization, constitute child abuse. Now, Paxton outlined specifically what Krause was discussing. So under procedures, um, these, are, these fall under the category of gender reassignment surgery, which are typically performed to transition individuals with gender dysphoria to their desired gender, referring to these procedures as sex change procedures. 
These include these also include administering drugs to children um, that induce transient or permanent infertility, which include puberty suppression or puberty blocking drugs. But by drugs, you mean medications. Yeah. So, like specifically, testosterone to females and estrogen to males to help with the transition from one gender to the next. Okay. To um, their to the gender that they believe they are. That's right. That okay. they identify with. Uh, specifically, Paxton noted that um, what this opinion didn't cover were rare instances of medical necessity. So, like a minor male, so someone under the age of 18, with testicular cancer who may need an orectonomy, which is a surgery to remove one or both testicles. So, this is not pertaining to that. This is specifically um, for what is, I believe, uh, envisioned as. Targeting the LGBT community, LGBTQ plus community. Well, they wouldn't say targeting, but they would say like elective, like non-necessary surgeries. Um, and so in summary, Paxton found that the sex change procedures are actually legally cognizable as child abuse under provisions of Chapter 261 of the Texas Family Code. And he found that because it, these have the effect of causing mental or emotional injury, physical injury resulting in substantial harm to a child, and may involve a failure to make what he deemed a reasonable effort to prevent an action by another person resulting in injury to the child. I guess there's a lot of presumption there. Because I feel like talking to my LGBTQ plus friends, the injury is being forced to stay in a body that doesn't match how you feel. Right, I think that that would be exactly what they would say is that you know you're preventing us the right from from fully um, reconciling with our identity. Uh, but Paxson goes further in grounding his legal argument in what he identified as the fundamental right to procreation, consent laws in Texas and throughout the country, and existing child abuse standards. He essentially was making the argument that a lot of these procedures, in his view, have the effect of sterilization. And if you are removing one's ability to procreate, you are violating a child's eventual right. Paxson makes this analogy to a Texas state Supreme Court decision that found a mother guilty of child abuse when she was administering insulin to a child. And it was found that the mother had Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which, you know, again, I'm not a doctor, but my understanding is that an individual will over assist or overtreat an, another individual because they have a mental disorder in which they believe that the other individual needs assistance even when they don't. So Paxson is essentially saying that the child has no agency in this decision and rather it's the parents making this decision and thus abusing the child by removing their ability to procreate. Okay. Tell me more. Yeah, so this is all Paxton's just uh, legal opinion. Again, this is non-binding. It's, it's merely an advisory opinion. Now, what pushes this into the effect of law is on February 22nd, Governor Greg Abbott, using this decision by Paxton, then issued a letter to the commissioner of the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, which is the agency that is in charge of um, preventing and investigating child abuse within the state of Texas. And he orders them to investigate any reported instances of these abusive behaviors in Texas, including investigations of both parents and providers. So to date, um, according to, and this information is all provided by the Texas Tribune, which is an independent 
a news agency that's headquartered in Austin, Texas. Now, according to CNN, there are at least currently nine open investigations of individuals following this directive that was issued on the 22nd. One of those individuals, interestingly enough, is the family of Amber Briggle, who had who actually invited Attorney General Paxton to her home for dinner to meet her transgender child in in hopes of um, softening Paxton's views about the transgender community. So she literally welcomed Paxton into her home, and he opened an investigation into her. That's right. Well, the. Uh, Department of Family and Protective Services opened the investigation by a referral from Paxton. Okay. Um, So uh, the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, and Lambda Legal, which is a nonprofit organization that is involved in litigation on behalf of the LGBT community, uh, has sued the state of Texas on behalf of a state worker who has a trans child, and she alleges that she was put on leave and investigated after asking questions about the directive. And so that case is in litigation. Um, Last week, State District Judge Amy Clark Meacham granted a temporary restraining order which blocked the state from investigating the family of that state worker. So what a TRO or temporary restraining order is an injunctive remedy which either allows or usually prevents um, a party from doing something. So in this instance, it's blocking um, the state from investigating that family. Now, Paxton's office, the Attorney General's office, immediately appealed that ruling, and on Wednesday of this week, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that it didn't have jurisdiction to proceed, so that TRO is currently in place. Okay. Meacham actually scheduled a hearing for Friday, uh, March 11th, today, the day we were recording this, to hear arguments on whether um, that grant of temporary injunction until trial should stand and whether it should extend not just to the plaintiff but to all parents of transgender children in the state of texas so this is um you know the findings of today's hearing will be very very key for that litigation moving forward so i want to talk about reactions um both at the federal level in the public sector as well as in the private sector so i mean it can't be any i mean are there positive there can't be positive reactions i imagine most of the reactions we hear are, what the hell? That's right. I mean, I, th- I think that this is something that cuts along an ideological spectrum. I mean, for those that are pro-LGBT rights, obviously this is outrageous. One example is the president, Joe Biden, on March 2nd said that um, Texas's directive is government overreach at its worst. And like so many anti-transgender attacks proliferating in states across the country, the governor, Governor Abbott, his, his actions are callously... Uh, used to threaten to harm children and their families just to score political points. These actions are terrifying many families in Texas and beyond, and they must stop. He also referred to actions that are being taken by the Health and Human Services Agency, um, and he referred to statements by Secretary Javier Becerra, who's the Secretary of the Health and Human Services. Now, I read through the actions that were listed by by Secretary Becerra, and it comes out to five points, three of which were were um, issuing memorandums that made clear what states should and shouldn't do in regards to child welfare systems and the LGBTQ plus population. But before we get, this just seems Texas and the current administration of Texas, Governor Abbott, it just seems like this is having their cake and eat it too. 
for the past two years, haven't we heard them say, oh, keep government out of healthcare with the vaccine and all these shots, and it's up to the family to decide. When even kids wear masks, but now they're deciding that the government gets to be involved in this, these, this healthcare matter. Like, why now? Yeah, that's precisely right. I think that, you know, it's... I'm so hypocritical. It's political, but but also, you know, they're grounding it in, in, in this legal opinion um, that Paxton issued. So uh, going back to Becerra's statement, uh, you know, he identified that these memorandums would identify states should use their child welfare systems not to prevent, um, not just to prevent injury, but to advance safety and support LGBT youth which can include access to what they call gender-affirming care as opposed to sex change procedures. He also said that despite the government, Texas government's threat, healthcare providers are not required to disclose private patient information related to gender-affirming care. So again, under HIPAA, there's, there's no reason for a provider to um, out, so to speak, their patient. In fact, that's, that's against the law. Yeah. Um, Becerra also said denials of healthcare based on gender identity are illegal as is restricting doctors and healthcare providers from providing care because of a patient's gender identity. That's discrimination on its face. Secretary also called on his agency to, quote, explore all options to protect kids, their parents, caretakers, and families. And I'll get to that all options in just a second. And uh, the HHS also will ensure that families and healthcare providers in Texas are aware of all these resources that he said. Um, so what what are some options that the federal government can actually take in reference to Texas, right? So under the Constitution, there's the Supremacy Clause. If Congress passed a law prohibiting states from taking any sort of action, saying you can't use your child welfare systems to prohibit, you know, we'll, let's use the term gender-affirming care, that would be something. But then that would mean that both— Congress would have to actually do something, Congress, which is never going to happen. Congress would have to, to agree on this, and I don't think— um, given the ideological bent and the composition of Congress that that would happen. Um, what the agency could do, that HHS could do, is actually block funding. They're, they're um, delegated to entitle the, the uh, provision of grants, block funding grants to Texas, so they could withhold money, federal aid, to the state of Texas until they repeal this directive. I mean, could Texas sue to get that money? Like, they could. Okay. They could. Um, and then what court would hear that? Would that go that would to the be, Supreme That would be court? a federal district court. That wouldn't go directly to the Supreme Court. That would be okay. a federal district court that would hear that. It could be appealed eventually to the Supreme Court. Also, some, some other uh, tactics is HHS has within it the, their Office of Civil Rights, or OCR. OCR could conduct an investigation into um, the situation in Texas and provide their own um, findings, including potential referral to the Department of Justice. Alternatively, the Department of Justice could bring their own investigation and lawsuit against Texas right away. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of avenues. Have they? Not yet. Um, but it, it seems that the agencies are, are looking at what's going on. Now let's pivot to what private industry is, is doing. So uh, as of today, March 11th, 60 companies, including Google, Apple, and Meta, Apple being very important because they've recently opened up a, a, a major office in the city of Austin, opened uh, a, um, a full-page ad in the Dallas Morning News calling on Texas leaders to, quote, abandon efforts to write discrimination into law and assailed them for taking um, the directive and the investigation out against these families. So, um, you know, you've got the federal government lambasting 
Abbott and Paxton. And then you have private industry with which Texas has a, a large um, desire to want to, to have maintain its pro-business mentality. You got it coming from both sides. So interestingly, you know, we talked a little bit about remedies that the federal government could take. So those are legal remedies. But let's not forget that this is an election year. And um, Paxton is actually in the midst of a runoff uh, that will occur on May 24th. And he's facing George P. Bush. And you probably recognize the last name Bush. He's a member of the Bush dynasty. He's the son of former Florida Governor Jeb Bush and nephew of former Texas Governor and President George W. Bush. And Paxton himself is embroiled in legal challenges. He's facing a criminal indictment as well as an FBI probe. So it's possible that Bush could beat Paxton in this runoff or, you know, never say never, Paxton could lose to whoever the Democrat challenger is and there would be a turnover. And obviously um, Abbott himself is facing a challenge by um, former presidential candidate and senatorial candidate, Beto O'Rourke. Um, and so if, you know, both Abbott and um, Paxton are voted out of office, this directive would likely go away. So not only are there is, le- legal remedies, but there's, there's Bush, political remedies. Is the other Bush any better than Paxton? So I was trying to find uh, Bush's stance on this directive, and I wasn't able to find any, anything immediately. Kind of reading the tea leaves, Paxton is supported by President Donald Trump. And, and you know, as I'll speak to more in the context of this Florida bill, um, a lot of these um, actions are taken um, to win what, you know, Democrats and liberals would call the culture wars. Um, these are the types of things that um, conservative politicians are pushing through legislatures or through the governor's mansion um, to ensure that um, certain social issues are taken care of from their perspective. What I was able to find is that uh, members of the Bush family are actually um, changing their stances. So I found an article that said that Laura Bush, who's George W. Bush's wife, um, changed her stance on being anti-trans and is actually, you know, understanding of the community and wanting to learn more. So it's possible that the familial connection. Well done. Might... I mean, listen, I don't always agree with people from either side, but I'm never going to bash somebody for educating themselves and coming up to admitting that they had a wrong view and changing their stance for the positive. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, lots to be, uh, lots to watch with the um, Texas directive. Quick question before we move to Florida. Even if Paxton wins, if Beto, if Beto ousts Abbott, this bill could also go away. So again, it's not a bill, it's a directive. The directive could go away. Even if Paxton stays in and it's a split, the Attorney General is Republican and the governor is Democrat, the governor could single-handedly end this because he was the former administration would be have, would be what made it binding. That's exactly right. Yep. Okay. That's exactly right. So again, if you are um, outraged by this directive and you are a voter in Texas, please make sure you're registered to vote and go vote these people out of office. Um, that's how. That's one solution to have this taken care of. Um, so let's pivot to Florida and what um, opponents have been calling the Don't Say Gay Bill. So, Do we know the actual name of this bill? Or are Republicans just we do. enough to call it that? We do. So the actual name of the bill is called the Parental Rights in Education. And Ugh. 
starting in so again in background like i was saying before you know starting in 2021 which was a a very big year for republicans and conservatives um you know you saw the state house in the state of virginia flip to a republican there was a very very close um race much closer than anyone anticipated in the state of new jersey which generally trends democratic um and a lot of this was based off of these parental rights issues. And a lot of one term that was bandied about quite a bit was called critical race theory. Okay, so, but first of all, Texas just passed a law getting rid of parental rights with regards to their child's health care. But sure, let's talk about parental rights in education. Um, this is... <laughs> Obviously, this, this is a heated topic. Um, so... You know, these 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 laws that are being passed in states and localities are part of this movement to give parents greater power about about not what occur- this is this is more about what occurs in school curriculum. So we're shifting from procedures and treatments that handle individuals who are transitioning to what is taught and discussed yeah, in schools. I'm tracking. Okay. So just a a, a quick briefing on critical race theory. Um, this is an educational prism in which American history is viewed as systemically racist. Um, it's also known as CRT, and it's important to know that CRT generally is not taught in primary or high school, but is traditionally reserved for college and graduate school courses. However, a lot of these laws that are banning critical race theory, or at least trying to prevent the introduction of critical race theory, checks um, teachers' curriculum in public schools at every step. So. What started as a, a, a focus on critical race theory has moved to a wider restrictions on books and literature in public schools and even discussions in curriculum dealing with the LGBT community. So specifically this bill, which again is the parental rights in education, provides a few things. So the first it does is any lessons about sexual orientation are banned outright in grades K through third grade. You just can't talk about them at all. Further, it prohibits lessons in other grades unless they are, quote, age-appropriate and developmentally appropriate. Now, this seems to introduce a level of discretion. However, who do you think makes those decisions as to what is age-appropriate and developmentally appropriate? The devil. Well, it's our favorite individual school administrators who have to listen to parents. And so... They have to listen to parents because the bill also allows for parents the right to sue school districts if they don't agree with what lessons are being taught. So this has the potential of a chilling effect of saying, you know, again, we completely banned it outright in grades kindergarten through third. However, in any higher level grades, you can't talk about it because you are fearing the potential of litigation. Okay, pause there. I vaguely remember from law school about sovereign immunity, and you can't sue the government until unless and until they give you permission to sue the government. So Florida... That's the federal government. State governments don't have that. I'm sure state governments have an analogy, but this is allowing them to sue the That's government. That's what I'm saying. They're, Republicans have just allowed taxpayer dollars to be wasted on potentially a ton of litigation against school like that's what they want their taxpayer dollars going to i think they're using this more as a stick to prevent deterrent 
to prevent this litigation from moving forward at all. They're saying, we want this anyways, but even if, you know, Florida's not a monolith, there are school districts in Miami-Dade, Broward, other parts of the state that trend blue and would be opposed to this sort of state-enforced rule. So how did the... So this, this would allow parents in those school districts to bring litigation against those school districts. And it's against the school district, not the teacher. Right. Well, I mean, the, the teacher would likely be a named defendant as a part of any sort of litigation, but the, the main party would be the school district. Okay. So, so how did this become a don't say gay bill? Yeah. So opponents, which are largely Democrats and members of the LGBT, LGBT plus communities, um, they've dubbed it the don't say gay bill because, as we've discussed, it effectively prevents you from discussing any, ma- any matters of sexuality other than those that are heterosexual. And it, it, it also, they also claim that it would stigmatize marginalized students and lead to further bullying and attacks, which is rampant for that community. I guess I'm missing something. If, it, if the law is not to discuss sexual orientation at all, doesn't that include heterosexuality? Like, can't a lawsuit be brought for discussing a heterosexual person and like as a way to, to push back against the bill? Be like, oh, well, these are your words. I guess that's, that's potentially... Um, a theory that might be explored, but do it just just to just to kind of give you um, can't talk about DeSantis. Just to give you a flavor of what the bill was trending in the direction, I think it would crystallize around this concept that any discussions over sexuality would be anything other than heterosexual. This is what was cut. This was left on the cutting room floor and didn't make its way into the bill. An earlier version went even further than these provisions and would require principals to tell parents of a student who came out other than straight. So in an already difficult, oh my in an already difficult um, situation where a student is struggling, um, it, would, it would deputize principals to essentially out their students to their own parents. And depending on what that individual's home life may be, that could be a potentially very dangerous situation for that student. Luckily, that didn't make it into the bill. So although um, I don't agree with this bill at all, it could have been worse. So let's talk about what supporters of this bill have, have said that this, again, this strengthens parental rights by preventing teachers and school staff from withholding information about gender issues from parents. It allows parents to enter the classroom and to effectively participate in um, the discussion of curriculum and, and what their students can and cannot hear. Immediately, this this makes me think of, of issues around the First Amendment. It's an interesting question about who would be the party to bring a First Amendment challenge. So, you know, effectively, this is a discussion about school curriculum, who gets to develop school curriculum, administrators, but, you know, the people on the front lines are, are, are teachers. However, public school teachers, they don't have this unfettered right to First Amendment in their jobs. They're agents of the state, after all and the state can regulate its own speech. And it's actually school districts that make the decision on curriculum and the teachers have to follow it. So the argument that bills are posing unconstitutional limits on public school teachers may not actually hold up because teachers are already limited in what they can say. However, students, students 
of every age have First Amendment rights, which was declared by the Supreme Court of the United States in their decision in 1969 of Tinker v. Des Moines School District. So what that actually means is that students themselves have the right to, one, protest against the law. They're able to walk out, although that may have other ramifications. Um, but at the end of the day, they have the right to sue for violations of the First Amendment rights um, so if they were having discussions outside of curriculum or had questions for teachers about sexual identity, and if the teacher had to say, I'm not allowed to speak to you about that because of this law, then the student could say, this is challenging my First Amendment right, and that, that would likely be a pivotal claim. So what we will likely see is as this bill heads to Governor Ron DeSantis' desks for signature, we'll likely see the ACLU, Lambda Legal, and a whole coalition of LGBT plus student groups bringing litigation as this is a challenge to their First Amendment rights. I just don't, I don't have, I don't know all the nuances of our education system and how it works, but isn't it, if you want a say in what your kid, go to private school, like this is, that's not like, I just don't feel like the parents should have a say in public education. I guess that's what you have elected officials for. And even then, it, how snowflake are your kids that, God forbid, they learn someone in history is gay? Or, oh my gosh, that slavery existed with critical race theory. How snowflake do you think your children are that they can't hear hard truths? Or just that, you know, someone is different than you. Or someone is like you if you happen to be gay. I just don't understand. This is such a sad, pathetic small-minded piece of legislation. It just, it makes no sense to me. I think what what might be interesting to, to take the alternate stance is, what if this bill instead tried to prevent a discussion about slaveholding individuals? Obviously, slavery is bad. I think that's a universally accepted uh, truth at this point. But if this bill said, you can't talk about anybody in the United States that has ever held slaves and speak about them as being members of change for the good. That would wipe out basically our first dozen or so presidents. You couldn't talk about George Washington as being an upholding citizen. You can never say that Thomas Jefferson was good despite all the things that he did for this country. Well, there's arguments of that already going on. You're seeing statues removed of slaveholders in general. Right, and that gets a whole segment of the population. But that's not to say you shouldn't discuss them. It's history. It's fact. Exactly. And that's my point. Is if you are, if you're somebody that says we shouldn't discuss our history with all of its rough edges, then you're completely discounting the fact that everyone that we think is a change maker for good also had negative qualities about them. And to I think clear, what this, I think the sexual effect, orientation is not a negative. That's not, well, if you're a certain segment of the population, the, the conservative, the religious right, you would argue that that is not appropriate to be having these discussions. In fact, you wouldn't just argue it, you would write it into statute and you'd have it be the law of the land. So what I'm saying is, is I think if you are someone on that side of this argument, you should take into consideration that if you're erasing facts, the existence of individuals, you're completely depriving your children of an understanding of what goes on in the wider world. Gay people, members of the LGBT community, exist. 
and we sh- and they shouldn't be erased. And and laws like this have a detrimental effect on ind- on on everyone's understanding of that community. And you know, frankly, I, I'm disgusted by this. But but this is not just isolated to Texas and Florida. In fact, copycat legislation um, is undergoing in a large amount of states. So uh, the free speech organization PEN America is actually tracking these issues. And at you know the time of my research, it counted 15 proposals in nine different states, including Georgia, which had almost a, an exact version of, on, of the Florida Georgia. bill. Kansas, which would make it a misdemeanor for any teacher who uses materials depicting homosexuality in any way, not just if the depiction is sexually explicit or celebratory. Tennessee would prohibit schools from using any books or instructional materials that mention gay, bisexual, or transgender issues or lifestyles in any way. And Indiana would prohibit teachers from discussing in any context sexual orientation, transgenderism, or gender identity without parental consent. So clearly there are states that are in favor of, of passing this type of legislation. So again, there are legal mechanisms which with the federal government can bring to bear, likely through the Department of Justice. Um, also, there are educational grants that could be withheld. But finally, this is a political issue, and this is not a losing political issue at all. Um, you know, see who the new governor in Virginia is, um, see the tidal wave that is expected to uh, change the control of the House and Senate in the midterm election this year. But I think even before that, this is, I think people forget, or at least Democrats often forget, how important it is to vote small, vote local. That's where so much of this stuff is starting, and then it's ballooning out to these bigger campaigns and these bigger elections. But don't forget to vote in your local elections because it matters. That's right. This is insane. I'm very, this was a very depressing podcast, candidly. Well, I think it's important to highlight these issues and and to make sure that not, not everything is happening in DC. There are things happening at the state and local level as well. So like, like my wife so astutely just said, please remember vote up and down the ballot um, remember these issues when it comes time to make your decision in November. Just hold your elected officials accountable. I don't care Republican, Democrat, Andrew Yang's Ford Party, Independent. Ask questions. Hold people accountable. That's right. Hold people accountable. Well put, babe. All right. We'll wrap it there. Thanks.